You're listening to Not Your Average CEO Lifeline with your hosts, Danielle Cuomo, CEO, and Nicole Galicchio, LCOO. We are here to provide you with a vital lifeline to executive advice that you've never heard before. We have the resources and the tactics to help you reach the next level. Whether you are just starting out or you've been in business for decades, listen in for exclusive tips and content to meet your needs. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average CEO Lifeline. Today, we are talking again all about transforming your leadership. We have special guest Dan Tokini with us today. Dan, it is such a pleasure to have you on and hear your expertise. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background? My name's Dan Tokini. Uh, I am a co-founder and uh, the CEO of a company called Take New Ground. Uh, and that's exactly what it's about. It's basically our, our tagline, if you come to our website, is we transform or turn leadership into leadership, <laughs> meaning that we um, we basically it's a transformational process and it's a no-nonsense approach to transforming leadership into a, an effective, cohort, uh, cohesive team. We do a lot of culture work, work with mergers, acquisitions, sales, uh, do a lot of startup work, that kind of thing. So in the aspect of leadership, can you tell us what you feel the most value aspect is to being on a team? Well, you know, um, really taking responsibility for what it is I'm there to have happen. Uh, we have a saying, you can't explain your way out of what you behaved your way into. And you're either going to have results or you're going to have stories. You know, you're either going to actually have it turn it out, whatever you're up to, or you're going to have a story about why it didn't turn out. And um, most of the time, uh, leaders tend to, at least we found over when things get stuck, leaders will tend to make stories. They'll find themselves blaming others or circumstances, shaming themselves and, and kind of creating an environment where people have to justify what they've done or what they're up to rather than look for what's wanted and needed to have whatever they're committed to turn out. What types of steps do you take to tell leaders to, I guess, be more accountable, right? Is that really the the story that yeah. if they're not blaming others, right? They need to be accountable for themselves. What What steps do you tell them to take? Well, it's more of a, a way of, we, we approach it from uh, presence. Like you can do the right thing from the wrong place and you're still going to produce a result that's suboptimal or not what you committed to. So we start with where people are coming from, how they're actually relating to what's going on. And there's four basic um, distinctions or principles that we ask them to consider. First is, Nobody makes a dumb choice. Nobody goes out and says, today, I'm going to make the second or third best choice I have available. People go out and they make the best choice they see available. But there might be better choices, but they don't see them because those better choices often show up like a threat or a danger sign or something like that. They don't see them or, or they're blind to them because of the way they're thinking about what they're doing. Um, Harvard did a a tremendous study uh, many years ago to understand how, you know, like, well, how come people, some people excel, others don't. What causes organizations to fall apart or what causes a, a situation to unravel or 
you know, become uh, problematic. And usually in 87% of the time, it was cognitive breakdowns or the way people were thinking about it. And so if, you know, if you ever looked out and said, wow, that was really stupid, that brings, you know, that why did that person do that? Or why did I do that? And I did it because, and they did it because they thought it was the best choice available. And so we ask people to think about this. First, think that whatever somebody does, it's not accidental. They're doing it because they actually think it's the best thing to do. So people always make the best choice they see available. And the second thing is <clears throat> the way, you know, people, they're acting congruently with the way that the world is occurring for them. So if, you know, if they do something, they're doing it because of the way they see the world. And the way they see the world happens in language. And we ask them to notice their language because it's the first clue to what it is you're seeing, right? So if you sit down and you talk to somebody, then you've probably done this many times and you can hear how they're seeing the world. If you can help them see something new, something different, they will actually make a different choice if they see it's better than what they they were currently seeing in, in the way that they were viewing the world. And then the third one is, we ask people to notice that future language always transforms the current state that they're in. So if you and I are talking, for instance, and um, you and I are talking about what we're gonna do this year, and, and Nicole, you thought you were gonna double your income this next year, you really believe that. Well, you're going to be very different in the conversation than me if I think I'm going to lose I'm I'm going to lose half of my income. I'm going to think differently. That future that I think is coming is going to determine how I'm going to participate from then on. And you're going to be looking at how to invest and what to do with your money that's coming in and I'm going to be looking how to preserve or maybe, you know, uh pull back or liquidate certain assets, etc. But that's all because of the future we see that's coming. And all that's contained in language. So if I can, if, as we talk, if as we're talking, you see new possibility, or I see new possibility as a result of talking to you, and I see a possibility for making my income grow beyond what I thought it was going to be, I'm going to be, what's going to happen is I'm going to start to transform. The way I'm in the situation will start to shift, if that makes sense. It does. And it's an interesting way of thinking about things. Do you have advice for leaders who are in a meeting, right, or going into a meeting and how they can alter their language for the outcome that they're looking for? Yeah, well, there's a couple of ways. First, you have to get a hold of how you're thinking about the problem. Like, let's usually if you're going in to have make a correction or do something new with a team, uh, it's good to be able, like, let's say you're going to go in and make a change. You're going to have to, the first thing is create a context. Why are we making this change? What are, what are we up to? So being able to declare the problem, say this is this is a breakdown. I have to declare it. I have to say in language, this is a problem. And this is why it's a problem. And then I, and once they get a sense of that, I want to show them an example. And then if I can give them a, a clear example of why it's a problem, I'm going to have a more distinct, I'm going to have a distinct conversation with them. And I've got to be willing to have the conversations that they don't want to have, which is often a, an issue for, mo for leaders. It's like, 
are you willing to have the difficult conversations? And and a lot of leaders will say, well, yeah, I'm nervous about what's what I could lose. And they have a tendency, at least the, you know, I'm of course pointing to myself when I say this, because I'm very familiar with my own tendencies. But the point is we don't like to talk about things that we're not sure we can control the outcome of. And so we have a tendency to want to be able to control the conversation to make sure it lands on the spot where we want it. But the great adventure comes when I'm willing to declare what's there the, the way I see it and present the the example of how come it's not working and then explore with the team until they can come into either we both come into a one a mind a one mind you know aligned an alignment about yes this isn't working now let's talk about what's wanted and needed versus how come it's not working right like when you start getting into well this isn't working because you did this or i did that that's a very different conversation. It usually produces a pol uh, polarity on the team. Instead, what we like to we work to is okay, good. What worked? Because something worked. Because you probably have a you have a certain percentage of the results you wanted. So what produced that? What didn't work? Then we look at what didn't work without blame. You know, we're, we're there to this didn't work. And team members, when they get that you're hard on the problem, and you're not there to blame them, scapegoat them, make them the bad guy and you the good guy. When they get that you're shoulder to shoulder with them and you're willing to, you know, roll up your sleeves and get in the middle of it, they have a tendency to move that direction anyway. They start to see, yeah, this didn't work, that didn't work. And the clearer we get about what didn't work, what's missing starts to reveal itself. And that indicates to us what's wanted and needed. And then the, then we can start talking, okay, good, what's wanted and needed? And then that opens up language where we would make requests and promises to have that turn out, whatever that is, if you if that makes sense. In terms of wanting to be shoulder to shoulder, right? And um, wanting to bring up the conversation, what is the best time? Right. Because that, that's important. It's important to know <laughs> when, yeah. where, and, and why, you know, we know the why, right. But you get nervous, right? So how do you know this is the right, the right time to bring yeah. up this issue? Well, you're going to, you have to think that out. The right time is as soon as possible. As soon as a, that's appropriately possible. In other words, I don't want to bring this up. I, I want to think through a number of things. Like if I've got an issue with you and I want to talk to you about it, I'm I've got to think about now what's going to be best for you know for Nicole to hear this. Do I want to, you know, I'm probably gonna she's probably gonna to want to hear it from me privately first. She's not gonna want me to bring that up in front of the team. So if I'm gonna have a team meeting, we're gonna talk about what's not working. And Nicole, you're probably gonna if it's gonna involve you quite a bit, I might want to have a conversation with you beforehand. To, let, to really vet some of this. So when we get in the conversation, you feel both supported and, and empowered to have that conversation. And, and so I wanna make sure that I've got your agreement. So there, but there's a lot of studies that are out there. You can get them, Harvard, Tufts, uh, Stanford have done a bunch of studies around 
uh, conflict resolution. In fact, there's a great book out called Thank You for the Feedback by the Harvard Negotiation Project. And one of the things they looked at was when's the best time to, in, to uh, deal with a breakdown? And, and that's as soon as possible, they say, that's appropriate possible, like I just said, because the longer it waits, the more parties make up things about what's going on. And the, the, that increases the potentiality for a breakdown. So, and then there's a, a very specific way to bring it, right? There's a, there's, you want to think through what it is you're going to be saying to that person in a way that helps them engage with you around the issue that needs to be resolved. Really like that you, you mentioned the longer you wait, um, this, this is true across the board for a lot of things. The longer you wait, things just it tend to unravel in a different way. So I really like that you pointed that out. Yeah, I think personally and, and professionally, that's that's definitely true. Um, Dan, I know that one of the reasons we were so interested in bringing you on our podcast is that much of your advice and the work that you do is really no fluff um, and it's, it's straight to the point. And so I'd love to hear, you know, in your experience, um, what you think our audience could start doing right now um, to transform their leadership in a sort of no fluff way. Well, get real with yourself. That's the first thing. And the way to do that is look at the results. If they're not the results you said you wanted, start there. This isn't what I really wanted, or this isn't all of what I wanted. This doesn't work. It's not working. Admit it's not working. And and then like avoid any temptation that you have to make it about anybody else or even blaming yourself, right? It's it's like the tendency to blame others is one thing. And then the next thing is to condemn myself. You know, we usually have, there's, there's a saying we talk about, it's called the human paradigm. And it's, it's basically when something goes off, we look for somebody to, you know, we think this, this is the language to listen for. There's something wrong, bad, or broken with it, them, or me. There'll be some version like that. Oh, this didn't work. It must be the system. It must be Nicole. It it must be Danielle. It it must be the the or and then the other one is, oh, it must be me. I'm bad. I broke I I I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't be involved. I'm, you know, why did I even get here? Those, you know, why did I even take this risk? There's a million little conversations I use to make me wrong. Now each of us has our own trigger, our own a you know tendency towards one of these conversations. Unfortunately, mine is there must be something wrong with somebody else. It can't be <laughs> me, you know. And I was talking to my wife. She goes, "Oh, we're a perfect match because I go to what's wrong with me." And then, then we, you know, we've been married for fifty years. And then, then we go, ah, and then look at our conversation. Here I am trying to write. Here she is making herself wrong, and then later getting mad and resentful. Well, that happens in business too, right? And we tend to go there. So if I know that that's going on to me. It's not like I need to get rid of that. I need to listen for that because it's not an enemy, it's an ally. It can be an enemy if I believe it, but it becomes an ally because if I start blaming somebody else, I know there's probably something here for me to own. And I, I ought to get to that as quickly as I can. 
I ought to get to what I can own and how I contributed here so the other person can see that I've done the work. And then when I ask them to join me, it isn't accusing them. It's like, look, this isn't working. And for instance, I had a breakdown the other day with a, a team member. And so I, I sat down and I wrote down what wasn't working for me. And then I, and I wrote it down really clearly. I, I wanted to be very concise so I could say, this is what's not working. When you get into a, a situation that, let's say, uh, causes, you, it's an opportunity for you to account. Instead of accounting, you, you give an excuse about why it is that way. And then I, now once I can say that clearly, then I can present an example of it just like I said before. And then I can say, and I've noticed, I've contributed to this by, because I've never said anything about it. I just get angry. And then you ask me why, do am I angry at them? Or are you, why are you so edgy? And it's because I'm carrying that around. And so what I'm doing is I'm having that, I wanna have that conversation now so it doesn't grow. Cause it, I noticed that I, when I resist that when I get there, I want to get, I don't want to engage you. I want to move away from you, which is the exact opposite of what's wanted and needed. And, and so I can say that too. And then I can say, look, and I know the next step is if this continues, here's what I see is going to happen. If I continue to do that, and if you continue to do this, if the relationship stays in this way, what we're going to end up with, you're going to feel alienated, I'm going to feel angry, and we're going to probably end up missing the opportunity to correct it. And and you're either going to leave or I'm going to fire you and it's not going to work. And that's not that's not what I hired you for. I'm here to have you win, that kind of thing. And then uh -huh. I can say, you know, this is, and I can say, look, what do you think? And then I can hear them. And now we have a conversation that's directed at, and I've owned, and I'm owning my my aspect in it, my parts in it, now they can, and I can see where they're standing and we can, the conversation sometimes can get, it may get a little more heated. It might go in different directions, but I'm going to bring it back to that every time. And nine times out of 10, we find that we come together on it. And does that relate, Dan, to sort of what you were saying before about the timing? Um, and it's right away or as soon as appropriate, as is appropriate. Does that relate to the same thing? Um, yes, I want to make sure. So for instance, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to want to make sure I have time to sit down and really spend, you know, spend. It's amazing how much you can get done in a half hour if you're intentional. So I might take a half hour and make sure I got at least that. Now, if I need another meeting, then I'm going to say, well, let's talk again. Think about it. Let's come back together again. But I want to choose a time where I can sit down, be there with you, not be distracted not have phones ringing, people coming in and out, and have the discussion. So yeah, it fits right into that. And I want to think about you. Like, what do you want? How do you like things presented to you? You know, how I'm going to think about your preferences so I can, I want to make sure you get I'm on your team. Now, if I'm in a place where that's too much of work, or like one of, one of the great complaints I love hearing from, I hear it all the time from my clients, well, I'm not there to babysit them, which is such a- <laughs> That's a good one. It's like, That's a yeah. very, I think that. everyone listening can relate. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, what? it's interesting. Who said you were there to babysit them? Funny, you think having a intentionally 
thoughtful conversation is babysitting them, right? If if you hired them to do a job and they're not doing the job, you also implicit in hiring them are saying, I'm a commitment to your winning. So if you don't think they can win, then you ought to cut them loose and stop playing games. But if you believe they can get it done, then you ought to take a stand and find out what that's going to take. And if it's not, if it's not working when you do that, then you can lay down the track. Look, this isn't working. Here's what I need to see by the next meeting. And they will either work themselves back into the job or they'll work themselves out of it and there will be no surprises. And I, I'll be honest with you, I very rarely you know, had any problems if I'm willing to take that kind of stand. But, you know, I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. So I know what it's like to value your time. It's an asset and to be able to use it wisely. So you ought to stop playing games and just get to it, you know, and and take the time. Look, if you, if you it's like pay now or pay later with penalties and interest. You know, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> take the time to understand the problem clearly, get beyond the get beyond the symptom and get to the underlying problem. A lot of times that's another issue. You know, uh, a, a leader can get all caught up in, this, in the symptoms of what's going on and never have asked themselves or stopped long enough to say, why is so-and-so doing this? What What is the cause? Like, like the sale, they're not making the sales or they're not delivering on time or they're not coming in on time. So that's the symptom. I, it's the way they're thinking about it is the problem. The way they're relating to it is the problem. I got to get to that. If I can help them see that, I have a much, a, a much greater chance of supporting them in a way that they're going to take action that's going to be effective. So with this predetermined notion of what a CEO is or what how they should think, right? You said th this is a typical term that CEOs or entrepreneurs may think, I don't want to babysit them. I hired them, let them just do their job. Yeah. And that I think is across the board, just a, t a typical mindset. Um, so our, as our podcast is not your average CEO and, and we're a lifeline, those who are starting out, I think they can feel lost um, by all of these predetermined notions of a CEO. What advice do you have for them to think outside the box, to transform their entrepreneur mindship? Um, if you could simplify it down, right? There are obviously all these different factors that come into play, but what direction would you steer their mindset to be not their average CEO? First, learn to manage yourself, manage your own emotional state, manage your thoughts, learn to acknowledge and recognize your thinking and the aspects of your thinking that are effective and the aspects of your thinking that alienate you from your team. Manage yourself. If you can't manage yourself, you will be ineffective at leading others. And in fact, where you're ineffective at leading others is an indication of where you're off at leading yourself. So if you and I, my wife turned me on to this. She's really good. She says, mm -hmm. you notice you can't hear me right now. I'd say, yeah, I noticed that. I work with my wife. We've worked together for 40 years. And yeah. I'd say, yeah, I noticed that. She, so, so she said, so you notice that you can't hear what I have to say. How, what, where else does that occur for you? If it's happening here, it's hap how come you can't manage your emotional state enough to be able to hear what I'm saying? Just hear what I'm saying. So I thought that 
you know, that's a really good example of, of, you know, getting a hold of yourself. Because if I can get a hold of myself, then you can say whatever you need to say. And that's information I need. At least at the very least, I need to understand how you're seeing the situation and how you want, like what you're expecting from me. I got to notice how I speak to you, what opens up and what closes down. So if I'm, if I want to get across to you something and I speak to you in a way that you don't, you can't hear it, I might want to shift the way I'm saying it. I can say the same things in 10 different ways. I'm going to try other ways and I might pay close attention to you. So manage myself, lead others, and that will literally start to produce extraordinary results. But I can't, I can't emphasize enough self-management or self-government. Like I've got to get a hold of the way I think. We have a book coming out, not your average CEO. And I was just, we're on final edits and I was just reviewing our self-awareness chapter and it, it aligns perfectly, right? You have to be self-aware. You have to know your behavioral style and, and understand how you perceive others and understand what you're saying and why you're saying it. So I, I agree. And, and your wife sounds like a very, very smart She's, she's awesome. Well, she married yeah. me, so I'm, I'm hoping that was smart. <laughs> yeah, she's. I love. I love working with her. Of course, I'm married to her. She works well with my partner. She's a. She's a dynamo. So. So our last question on our podcasts are: Can you explain what not your average CEO means to you personally? Yeah. Um, not being the average CEO means that you care about people and you get that people you need them and that you get that through them results are caused and so you see them as people not tools and and that you get as much enjoyment out of seeing them win as you do the company winning like you equate like if i'm working with you your winning is equivalent to me as the company winning because each individual, as they start to win, the organization turns around. So if I treat my, my leadership team like that, they're going to start treating their people like that because they're going to start catching each other as well. And if there's that kind of opening, you're going to have a, a very synergistic culture. So it's really recognizing that I'm a stand and the stand that I take is what transforms the organization if I'm leading the organization. And that's right. And, 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 and somebody who's thinking like that, the average CEO often doesn't think about that. It They find themselves fighting with their team or fighting with the organization to get up to what they want. So that, that's the distinction I would make. Wonderful. That's wonderful. Yes. Dan, can you tell our audience where they can learn more about you and where they can find more of your fantastic leadership advice you can well there's you uh, we have a podcast called the naked leadership podcast it's both on spotify and apple um and we've you know been doing it for about five years something like that and then um you can reach us you can come to our website which is takenewground.com and and i'm also on instagram and linkedin You've been listening to Not Your Average CEO Lifeline with your hosts, Danielle Cuomo, CEO, and Nicole Glitchio, Els, COO. This podcast has been sponsored by Virtual Assist USA. If you'd like to know more about the hosts or exploring virtual assistant services, visit virtualassistusa.com for more information.